The Lord be with you. And also with you. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God. And worship God. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with mirth, his praise forth tell. Come ye before him and rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it as we are able. May we stand in the praise of God.
we pray together. O God, before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Now in this moment of prayer, in this moment of quiet, of silent confession, now at the beginning of this new day and week and coming new season, we pause to recognize ourselves, to see us in the mirror, see ourselves in the mirror of scripture, to see and remember that we are frail, mortal, often prone to harm others by mistake or intention. So we come with contrition and compunction and lament as the choir guides us in our prayer of confession. Let us pray. good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the second book of Kings, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets who were in Bethel came to, out to Elisha and said to him, 
Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other, until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Amen. A lesson, excuse me, a lesson from Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please join me in saying verses from Psalm 50 with the Antiphon. Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Our desire, perfection of beauty, our Our God comes and does not keep silence, before whom is a devouring fire, round about whom is a mighty tempest. God calls to the heavens above and to the earth that the people may be judged. Gather to me, my faithful ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare God's righteousness, for God himself is judge. Let us stand as we are able. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel.
The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them. And from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved, listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord.
seated. Of a sudden, our lessons from St. Mark for some weeks about the beginning of Jesus' ministry are interrupted, even upended, by the unexpected insertion of today's gospel, the account of the high mountain, the wild and windy mount of the transfiguration. We are taken up higher. We are guided to a promontory, to a peak, to a place of vision, of vista, of mystery, of presence, elusive but nonetheless powerful presence. This is our seasonal way, one would say, of keeping perspective, of allowing the high calling in faith with hope for love not to be clouded over or overshadowed by lower lights. And this is why, come Sunday, we come to church. For you, for us, the ordered public worship of Almighty God is not a matter of indifference. It is a matter of attention to the meaning of life, the high calling of living a transfigured life, a transfigured life, so the poet. It asks of us a certain height, so when at times the mob is swayed to carry praise or blame too far, we may take something like a star to stay our minds on and be stayed. For the month of February, broadly across American culture, there has come to be a healthy attention to black history, a shared, if quite variously engaged, cultural project, a good thing. Especially it is a good thing within a time that has found media-generated ways to normalize the abnormal in politics, but also in other things, to normalize forms of rhetoric and behavior in national leadership that prior to 2016 were adjudged abhorrent and immoral, not normal. There is, of course, a media financial incentive here. With humility and pride both, let us recall, we have at Marsh Chapel our own lived experience. My dad graduated from the School of Theology in 1956, preceded by Martin Luther King, who became Dr. King in 1955. Martin, first and last, was a preacher. Martin Luther King's own favorite sermon, The Dimensions of a Complete Life, was itself based on a sermon from Boston's own Phillips Brooks. King preached this sermon in 1954 to candidate at Dexter Avenue Church and again at Purdue in 1958 for a national UCC convention and again in 1964 in Westminster Abbey to accept the Nobel Prize. As you learn, guest preaching on the circuit what is good the first time can often be better preached three times or more. And the opposite can also be true. King, following Brooks, compared life to a cube possessing the three dimensions of length, breadth, and height. The good life flourishes when all three interact in something like a great triangle. At one angle stands the individual person. At the other angle stands other persons and at the top stands the supreme, infinite person, God. Note the Boston personalism there. Length means achieving personal goals. Breadth comprises the concern for the well-being of others. And height signifies the desire 
for an upward-moving longing for God. Today's text is about the third dimension, about height, and personally asks you whether your life exhibits this king's third dimension, height. Hast thou height? Granted your personal achievements, given your communal engagements, have you a known or been known by a mountain view? In Boston during this winter of 2024, in the speaking and hearing of Mark 9, there could hardly be a more personal, pertinent question. On it hang hope and health, yours and mine. The dimension of height, today acclaimed in the transfigured life of Jesus, is one of the gifts which the religious communities may offer to support our shared common hope across the globe. To survive personally and communally the next year and more, we shall need this height. Today we hear of the Transfiguration, Originally a resurrection appearance account, this legend eventually was placed by Mark in the year 70 CE back into the life of Jesus as a confirmation of his Messiahship, a portent of Easter, and an affirmation of Peter's earlier confession. Our lectionary places this passage, given symbolical and other similarities, adjacent to other Older and Newer Testament readings. But the truth is that there are as many reasons to disjoin as to conjoin texts, and it is generally better to avoid more than absorb the inherited usurpation by the Newer Testament of the older, when and if at all possible. Mark has brought the trumpets of universals to the occasion. All life longs for height. Hear the resurrection gospel. Light, shining cloud, God, tradition, prayer, silence, presence. White, white as snow, white as no fuller on earth could bleach. White as light, dazzling white. What arrives to mark is a mountain view, an announcement of God. This is my beloved Listen to him. Mark has brought us something profoundly hopeful and healthy. Good life has height as well as length and breadth. Good life has height that is a part of human experience. For Mark, the transfiguration is not only about divine, but also about human experience. Not only about a divine voice, but also about human ears. Mark's passage is about heightened human experience. We need this view today, today, a day when we recall that for all the rigors and excellence of sports, there was $115 billion in sports gambling in the USA in 2023, and 25 million more people participated in 2023 than in 2018. It is striking that Mark, facing similar fright as we do, witness to the destruction of the temple, wrote otherwise. May Mark's courage and the courage of the other biblical writers ever infect us. 
as if to say, there is more than one witness, the cost of discipleship, Mark's unflinching honesty about the dark itself. Strangely, that honesty strangely heightens human experience, making even transfiguration fully human, making our life open to height. At least ask yourself whether your life has height, human height. Has it? Height allows an appreciation of multiple interests, the unspoken presence in every gathering, multiple interests. Reason recognizes multiple interests without demonizing the interests or the interested. So Josiah Royce, now I submit to you that this meaning of the word reason is perfectly familiar to all of you. Reason, from this point of view, is the power to see widely and steadily and connectedly. Its true opponent is not intuition, but whatever makes us narrow in outlook and consequently pray to our own caprices. The unreasonable person is the person who can see but one thing at a time, when he ought to see two or many things together, who can grasp but one idea, when a synthesis of ideas is required. The reasonable person is capable of synopsis, of viewing both or many sides of a question, of comparing various motives, of taking interest in a totality rather than in a scattered multiplicity. The tradition of responsible Christian liberalism advocated at Marsh Chapel understands and honors Mark 9. Those of us who initially studied theology years ago heard but little of this. We heard neo-orthodoxy on the one hand, we heard liberation on the other. But both the liberationists and the Bardians are correctives to the larger liberal tradition, needed at times and good at times, but both espousing not only a responsible authority, but also too often a kind of authoritarianism, and both imbued with a lasting anger, which the transfiguration does not justify, as appealing as both are to the nighttime all around us. The gospel offers another message. Your life in its struggle up the mountain may open up at points to the humanly accessible high mountain view, a saving human height. Take a breath. Up here the air is rarefied. Up here you may have a moment of clarity. A transfigured life brings us to the altar of loyalty. We are in the thin air that requires the use of archaic words, loyalty, duty, chivalry. Beware, though, the sense that loyalty is a matter of sullen obedience. On the contrary, loyalty is the red flame lit in the heart's chancel, lit with the admixture of personal need and social concern, illumined by the reason and ignited by the will. Loyalty combines the conservative concern for morality with the liberal hunger for justice. And loyalty is life, but life with a purpose. 
Real clarity can come with a brush-up with loyalty on a high and windy mountain. You tell me what you give to, and I will tell you who you are. You tell me what you sacrifice for, and I will tell you who you are. You tell me what altar you face, and I will tell you who you are. Dime con quien andas y te diré quien eres. Tell me with whom you walk, and I will tell you who you are. And real loyalty is magnanimous. Real loyalty is big-hearted enough to honor an opponent's loyalty. At the summit, there can be a reverent respect for another's loyalty, truly lived, even when it clashes with our own, maybe especially then. Ulysses S. Grant felt this at Appomattox as he took the sword from Robert E. Lee. Our close friend John Clinch's new historical novel, The General and Julia, about Grant's last months of life, is kind of an homage in 250 pages to chivalry. It is this chivalry, this honoring of loyal opposition. People of faith were once known and well-known for this kind of chivalry, an appreciation of multiple interests, a respect and reverence for divergent loyalties, as long as they did not eclipse the one great loyalty, and all of it coated in humility. A football player, a burly bearded lineman, explained a defeat last month saying, they played better than we did. Our granddaughter is a Swifty, a fan of Taylor Swift, who last week in receiving an award said, no, no, the work, the work is the real reward. Yes. Such a memory could help our political conversations, reminding us that at depth, loyalties converge out of difference. Surface difference can occlude deeper agreements. Loyalty has a magnanimous height that honors others', others divergent loyalties, best perhaps known in vibrant local communities. What Alistair McIntyre, dean at CAS next door in 1972, called the construction of local forms of community within which civility and the intellectual and moral life can be sustained. Maybe he worshiped at Marsh Chapel. In fact, if life does not retain a height dimension, life becomes a kind of death. I may ask you then this Sunday morning question, does your life have height is the spiritual ceiling in your weekly house of sufficient stature? How high is heaven day by day? Is there any place for a cloud, for a brilliance, for a presence, for the numinous? Is there a room with a view? Is there a place for special experience, even special revelation? A pastor asked a harried housewife what would make her life better, and she replied, a window over the kitchen sink. Sometimes, as Carl Jaspers taught us, the third dimension of life, its height, may be provided for us by means of grace. Sometimes, as John Wesley taught us, this dimension comes in the means of grace he enumerated. 
in prayer and sacrament and scripture and study and, and discipline and, and, self, and self-control. Let us remember Wesley this Lent. Sometimes, as Ralph Harper taught us some years ago, we need the height of presence. He wrote, when I am moved by a painting or by music, by clouds passing in a clear night sky, by the sighing of pines in the early spring, I feel the distance between me and art and nature dissolve to some degree, and I feel at ease. I feel that what I know makes me more myself than I knew before. This is how the saints felt about God, and I see in my own experience elements that I share with the saints and the prophets, the philosophers and the priests. Reality, wrote Proust, takes shape in memory. In my junior year of college spent abroad in Segovia, I had the good fortune to meet a friend. We climbed the mountains of Castile together, though we never saw each other in church. Then the week before Lent in 1975, the last year of Franco's reign, we met each other in the plaza. My friend was carrying in good Castilian fashion the ejercicios espirituales of Ignatius of Loyola, the spiritual exercises. Surprised, I inquired about this reading for Lent and participation in that visionary exercise of Loyola, and he said, Siempre se saco algo bueno de estas cosas. One always is able to get something good from these things. Another kind of mountain view, perhaps. Here the gospel of the transfiguration, the gospel of height, the gospel of a high mountain view, the gospel of a transfigured life, and this gospel awaits you and awaits me, too, the poet. It asks of us a certain height, so when at times the mob is swayed to carry praise or blame too far, we may take something like a star to stay our minds on and be stayed. Amen.
seated. We come now to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer. You're invited to assume an attitude and posture of prayer, whether that is remaining seated, standing, or coming forward to kneel at the altar rail as the choir leads us in our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. embodied in human form, we pray for God's blessing on the church, the world, and all of creation. I will end each petition with God of grace, and the response will be, receive our prayer. We pray for the church, that the transformational power of God enters the hearts of all people. May its leaders serve as examples of your grace and healing across time and space. God of grace, receive our prayer. We pray for the creation, that we will humbly observe the swirl of wind and the head of the, the heat of the bright sun. Teach us to honor all you have made and to care for the animals, plants, air, and bodies of waters of this planet. God of grace, receive our prayer. We pray for those charged with leadership, lawmaking, and governance of our towns, states, and countries, that they will strive for goodness and justice all the days of their lives and callings. God of grace, receive our prayer. We pray for any who are sick and suffering. Guide us to offer hospitality, shelter, friendship, and care to any in need. God of grace, receive our prayer. We pray for the community of Marsh Chapel and its ministry to Boston University and all who call this place home. May we share the transforming beauty and love of God in ways that honor the dignity of all whom we encounter. God of grace, receive our prayer. Trusting that all the saints, prophets, and those who die in faith are held in your care, we remember in thanksgiving those who have died. Grant us your gift of salvation as we await your coming again in glory. God of grace, receive our prayer. Knowing the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, we offer these prayers and the silent prayers of our hearts to the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
And as your Son taught us, we pray now together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We now enter the time of our service where we can present to the Lord the glory due to God's name. In this time of offering, come, let us return a portion of what God has given us as a sign of God's light of hope in our lives.
please join me in prayer. O holy, gracious, and ever-living, O God, maker of all things, through your goodness you have blessed us with these gifts, ourselves, our time, and our possessions. Use us and, you, and what we have raised in feeding the world with your love, that others might find hope out of our abundance through the one who gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. All are welcome to join us and our hospitality team for a luncheon downstairs in the marsh room immediately following worship, a word of benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>